Welcome to Health System CIO's interview with Martin Fisher, Chief Information Security Officer at Northside Hospital. I'm Anthony Guerra, Founder and Editor-in-Chief. Martin, thanks for joining me. Glad to be here today. Very good. Martin, you want to start off, tell me a little bit about your organization and your role. Sure. Um, Northside Hospital, we're in Atlanta. Uh, we're a five-hospital system. We have about 300 outpatient departments, about 200 practices that roll up. Um, our probably the thing we're best known for locally is about 35,000 uh, babies are born in our women's center here in Atlanta every year. So uh, women's services is a really big service line, um, you know, oncology, cardiology. And uh, I've been here about eight years, uh, building a security program from scratch over that time. Uh, fantastic place to be. All right. Very good. So Let's, uh, I always like to find out how CISOs wound up where they are. So let's talk a little bit about your career journey. Um, I saw that, I think you came into healthcare 2010 from Delta Airlines. So yeah. that's an interesting switch. I always like to find out sort of a couple of things. One is how people wind up in healthcare and then how they specifically wind up on the security side of IT. So if you want to sure. take me through your career a little bit. Let's, let's, I'll answer the second question first. So I ended up in security actually by accident. Um, prior to being in security, I worked a lot in uh, release engineering. Uh, I owned these, uh, I was managing and owning the, the software source code repository at the airline when my boss got moved over to be the uh, CISO at the airline. And he needed someone to come in and help build the security operation side. So he asked me to come over and Barry was, fantastic. He's one of the best bosses I've ever had. I'm like, absolutely. I'm going to jump at the opportunity to learn a new thing and, you know, got into security there. And it was sort of like, you know, duck water. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, spent time there, uh, you know, like a lot of things, your, your time at a, at a company ends. So uh, I moved over uh, into healthcare and a lot of people think commercial aviation and healthcare, they're, they're so radically different. They're actually not. And here's why. Um, and for those of you who, who, who do healthcare, you'll, you'll get this. Pilots and physicians are very similar personality types. You know, pilots, you know, when they are in, when they're flying that aircraft, they have a couple hundred people in a stainless steel tube miles above the earth, and they're responsible for the lives of everyone on that plane. Physicians, you know, especially some of the, the, the surgery specialties, they have that person's life, even a fan, you know, the primary care docs, the health and welfare of that patient is, is in their hands. Nurses and flight attendants, very similar personalities. You know, everyone thinks normally the flight attendant is there to make sure that you have your diet Coke and your peanuts and whatever in your blanket or whatever. And yeah, but the real reason they're there is if things go sideways, their job is to get you off the aircraft in less than 90 seconds. Um, nurses are not there to plump your pillow and make <laughs> you, they're there if you code or, or what. So, and I think for me, I was, I'd like to think I was pretty successful with the airline understanding the pilot and the flight attendant mindset. It did not take long for me just to, pivot it 30 degrees to realize that they're very similar and that how you approach security uh, in healthcare, you know, I think the reason I was successful with the airline was I made sure that the, the pilots and the flight attendants understood I was on their side. 
they did not need to be on team security side. Team security needed to be on team flight operations. In healthcare, my doctors, my nurses, my everybody, they don't need to be on team security side. Team security needs to be on patient safety, patient care side. And as long as you're aligned that way, the amount of friction the security program generates just drops. And that's where you get the opportunity to have those really great conversations with your primary stakeholders on, we're all aligned. Can you help me do this security thing we need because patient safety, because patient care? Very good. So that's a lot of, a lot of great stuff in there. Uh, one is I was worried that you were going to be offending nurses with the comparison of flight attendants, but then you, you really made uh, flight attendants, you, you flattered them. Uh, and then also you flattered the nurses. So we're just, what, they, what they do is so insanely important. And it's yeah. so easy, I think, as a patient sometimes because you don't realize it until the bad thing happens. And all of a sudden there are three nurses, you know, standing around you, taking care of you. And, and yeah, I, I, yeah, flight attendants and nurses are some of the most underappreciated people out there. I think that's really, really good points. Um, you mentioned the similarities between aviation and healthcare, I think you're on to a lot there yeah. about the personalities with surgeons and pilots. They're also extremely highly regulated industries, yes. which is which creates a specific environment for a CISO to operate as opposed yeah. to retail. You're working for the Gap or something like that, right? Well, I think I think you know the right the regulations at the time I was in the airline industry. So I was I was doing security you know, before, during, after 9-11. And that was really an inflection point across mm. everything. Um, I think that they are regulated. And I think a lot of it is, for me, the way I think about regulation is that, yeah, I have to follow it, but I, I, I am more of a outcomes-driven CISO. You know, what is the regulation trying to get me to accomplish versus the prescriptive? This, the, that's one of the reasons I, I'm not a huge fan of PCI. Don't tell me what to do. Tell me what it is you're trying to accomplish. Um, that's why I think HIPAA is actually a pretty good regulatory framework. The security rule and the privacy rule describe the outcomes you have to achieve. Achieve those outcomes, you know, HHS doesn't care how, mm -hmm. just get them done. So for me, it gives me the flexibility as a, as a, as a technology and a security leader to, to see what I've got in my toolbox, to see what works inside my environment, apply it achieve the outcomes and we're all good to go. Right. Right. Um, and, and do you think uh, the fact that healthcare, there's so much on the line, just like aviation, you can't, you don't get to make a mistake. Right. Um, how does that change the environment for a CISO? So it's interesting. One of the things that we do when we're interviewing, especially, you know, leaders that are going to come into the security organization that are not from healthcare, you know, they may come from, fin, you know, here in Atlanta, we have a lot of FinTech, FinServe people. We have a lot of, you know, people who used to wear orange aprons and they're great people. Um, but to your point, they're, they're not necessarily in overly regulated environments, you know, the, the way we, we, we are in healthcare. And I'll generally ask the question at some point, you know, what do you think is the most important thing? What do you think keeps this CISO up at night, what's my biggest concern? And generally speaking, those folks, you know, pause for a moment and they think about it. They're like, well, if there was a huge breach of medical records and their answer is not wrong, right? They just don't understand the context. But what I'll try to do in that moment is say, look, um, I've got tens of thousands of devices on my network. 
the majority are connected to a person. It could be an infusion pump. It could be a radiology device. It could be something in Rad Onc where we're delivering radiation treatment. Um, if that device gets popped, it's connected to a person, we could hurt or kill a person. That's what I worry about. Now, the evaluation part for me is you can look into that person and go, did they get that? And if they, if you could watch them have that aha moment, that person could have a spot on. But there are some people who just, no, 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 no. It's, it's the data. It's the data. It's, you know, they, they, they're, you know, confidentiality, integrity, availability, and they, they look at it in that order. When from us, it's availability, integrity, confidentiality. And that, that inversion of the triad, the, the normal priorities, the normal prioritization of the triad, some people, when you explain to them why it has to be that way, they get it. And those are the people that we keep talking to. Some people just, they can't get their brain around it. And, you know, we wish them well, and there are going to be other industries they can work in. Healthcare is probably not going to be one of them, but it's that, because you know, if, if you think about it, you don't come to my hospital to sleep in my bed, eat my food, you know, uh, or wear my clothes because they're all pretty suboptimal compared to what you get at any hotel in town. You're here because you're sick mm -hmm. or you need, you need care. And the worst thing I can do is hurt you or hurt your loved one who's here. Everything, nothing else, nothing else really matters if you can't accomplish that. So we are, you know, everything we talk about here is patient safety. If you look at the mission statement of my group, number one, we ensure patient safety. You know, we ensure quality of care. Then we protect data. In that order is how we do it. And again, that for me, when you know, when I when I show other clinical leaders, here's our mission statement. Those who who don't know me, they're kind of like who have been around maybe other CISOs. They kind of wait. What you're you're speaking patient safety, patient quality language. Yes because we both have the same patient. I just approach it differently. And from as a healthcare CISO, I found that, that just living that, breathing that, again, reduces the friction. Because again, I'm showing the team security is on team patient care side. You know, it's so, it's so important to have that sort of North Star or True North or whatever, mm -hmm. whatever the proper example is. Absolutely. And then so much... If you have that right, so much flows from that. So many things get worked out because of that. If you don't have that that vision point right or that that end vision right, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. So, but you also have to you have to walk the talk, right? Yeah. We've we've made decisions here that if I was to like you know pull some non healthcare people and said we chose to do this, mm -hmm. their eyes would get big and we'd be like, oh my gosh, how could you possibly do that? Patient safety. You know, we chose to accept a risk because the alternative was a patient safety risk. Okay, got it. Um, and it, because we, I interact with directors and VPs across the organization and with, you know, some of our senior clinical leaders, they see us walk the talk. And now what that does, it's not just, hey, the security team rolls over. There have been some really, not difficult, but intense conversations with some of our our, our key clinical leaders, where I come to them, like, I totally understand the patient safety stuff, but we really need to do, like, you know, you know with log4j, you know, we took some outage to, to, to remediate that because of 
oh my gosh, this, this could burn the world down. Because they know that I'm on team patient safety and they know that I'm on team patient care, they're gonna pause and listen and we can have a conversation and I have the credibility with the org to say, we need to do this. We really need to do this. And then I'm given the, given the space to make it happen because they know I would not bring it up if it truly wasn't the kind of issue that needed to be resolved. And, and not all these decisions are clear, even when you have a true North star, right? Because you right. could be, you could, you could be trading one type of risk for another type of risk. Mm-hmm. So for example, um, one of the things we saw with COVID with the ramp up to handle COVID was a lot of CISOs, uh, green lighted apps and to get things on telehealth and different things without yeah. they didn't have the time to do the normal process that they would have. And they yeah. accepted that. They said, we understand we're going to give this a pass and we're going to go with it now because we need to take care of patients. And we know we're taking on probably more risk than we would have mm-hmm. otherwise. And then there was the process of having to go back mm-hmm. after things calmed down and okay, what the heck did we buy now? Or what did we turn on? Now, what can we do to remediate some risk? Did you go through the same type of thing? Absolutely, of course I did, right? Yeah. And, and any any health system CISO who says otherwise either is unaware or lying, mm-hmm. right? Um, being a CISO, a healthcare CISO during a pandemic has been one of the, one of the most interesting experiences of my life because it, we took everything we had done to date all, you know, every single plan we had about how we onboard new technology and how we assess risk, all of those plans evaporated because of the reality of what was happening in our ICUs and in our EDs and, you know, us putting, you know, medical triage tents up in our parking decks, right? I, I mean, who we've not seen that. So for us, it was you know, one, being invited into the conversation with clinical leadership around, we need to do a thing. We need to go, we need to go telehealth fast and hard. Um, and we were brought in to help guide that conversation. You know, here are the three people uh, that we're looking at and security was asked, <laughs> who's, who's the least bad, right? Who, yeah. Who's paying the least risk? Right. And we would do a very fast assessment and say, based on what we know, this is how I would rank rate them. They're like, well, we want number three. Okay. Right. I'm going to get out of the way. Now, again, to your point, there's the, you know, I'm going to have to circle back and fix this. And what right. can I do right now to help mitigate that risk? And, you know, us talking with the, our, you know, our counterparts on the privacy side, talking with our counterparts on the compliance side, talking to outside counsel who could really understand what, OCR was saying and, and where where OCR was drawing the lines, all of that fed into that conversation. And then collectively, security made a recommendation to leadership. And you know, we were part of that decision-making process. That's all that I can really ask for. But yeah, I mean, everyone had to do it because again, patient safety, quality of care, we had, otherwise our doctors wouldn't be seeing anyone. And that's that's not how things should work in a pandemic. Let's talk about those those risk decisions that that I've heard over and over again that CISOs want to um, explain the risk, uh, understand what the business is looking for, explain the risk, explain the options, and then the business ultimately is going to make the decision. So to use your example of giving them a, a one through three ranking mm-hmm. in terms of risk, 
And I'm not sure how you articulate the associated risk other than saying these are one through five. If there's more information you give in terms of some further detail for them to understand the risk. So you say, yeah. here's one through five. Uh -huh. uh, they say, we want three. You say, okay, you understand. I've explained to you why it's three, why it's not one, why it's not five. What makes that three? That's the one you want because of the functionality, understanding the risk level. Okay, Mr. Business Owner or Mrs. Business Owner. Is that how it works? No. Okay, tell me. So, the, so again, this, this is a very specific Northside leadership culture thing. It may, it may be similar elsewhere. It may be very different elsewhere. Using telehealth, right? Here are our three options. Actually, there were more options. There were, there were a couple that we said, please don't do this. <laughs> so here, please, just please don't do that one. Wait, wait, um, so let's start at the beginning. Who's, who's saying here are the options? They're saying here's what we want or you're right, saying? Yeah, we, we would work with our, with our friends over in, on the IT application side. Mm -hmm. We're in, there's clinical folks. It's, it's essentially, it's a, it's a team, of, team of people who like quickly research the options and the, the options bubble up and we help rank rate. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you know, it boiled down to here, here are the three that we feel we can adequately handle. Um, there was, there were a couple more that we looked at that just from my perspective, you know, there were, there was a lot of things wrong with both of them, not just from a security perspective, but we didn't believe they could handle the capacity, um, so on and so forth. So they just fell off for technical practical reasons as well but out of the three it was my my response was here here are the three in in rank rated order i can secure any of them and a choice was made i don't then continue explaining unless i'm asked a question now there's certain leaders here who are very detail oriented they you know they they will take if they want they'll take a rabbit hole and follow <laughs> it down to the molten core of the earth and i need to be prepared for that right i'll, I'll, right. I'll show our assessment there are some who are like, is it red, yellow, green? And, or can, can you, do, do you, Martin, understanding you're on team patient safety, do you feel we can appropriately secure this? And we have that conversation. And then my job is to sit back and let the business decide of those three, which is going to be the best you know, quality of care which one can the physicians use most easily? Which one integrates with our EMR and with our rev cycle and, and all those other things that from a security perspective, well, as, as, as a healthcare technologist, I'm interested in, but they're, they're outside my lane. So here are your choices, pick one, I'll secure whichever you choose. That's how the conversation works. Have you ever had now or, or in the past somebody uh, push back on the, you know, in, to use your example, the ones that were dropped off the list? Did you ever have somebody say, hey, that's the one I wanted. So can you make that work? No, that never happens. <laughs> of course it <laughs> so does. So how does right? that dynamic go? It really depends. I mean, a lot of it is, and again, a lot of it depends on, you know, here at Northside. Again, I think we're, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I can have candid conversations about why. Right. And, and, and again, because we're all on team patient safety, we're all team on quality of care. I can explain why this is endangering safety or why this is usually endangering quality of care and not just the, you know, this pinpoint solution is going to have impacts over here that you didn't think about. And again, because we have a lot of good conversation, there's a lot of trust. Um, 
the conversations work out. Now, sometimes people do get emotionally attached to product decks. Sometimes mm-hmm. it'll be, you know, some new physician leader has come into the organization. I've always used product Z. Mm-hmm. Fantastic doctor. We, we don't, we don't use that, but I want to use that. Okay. <laughs> in order to do that, I've got to build mitigating and compensating controls and essentially create a, a, a little product Z Island out here. Mm-hmm. This is what it's going to cost. If you'll give me your cost center number, I can start building it with your budget. Um, and then the conversation morphs, right? Um, are, are there times when we, de- we deploy things I'd rather not? Sure, happens all the time. But again, you know, my job is not to tell people no. Mm-hmm. My job is to sometimes say not like that. Mm-hmm. Really? Uh, or not, I, not like that unless you want to pay for it. Well, I mean, yeah, exactly. But, it, it, but even then, it's like, I just want to deploy you know, product Z, right? And it's going to be, you know, well, no, we've got to do these other things as well. So I, I'm not a clinician. Uh, I don't run RevCycle. I don't run all the, you know, my job is, to, is I stay in my lane and because I stay in my lane and I respect, not only stay in my lane, I respect other people's lanes. Um, they end up respecting mine. And, and again, I think it's part of a healthy culture to where there can be constructive tension, right? There's, there's always tensions in an organization to where, you know, my director for emergency services is laser focused on when an when a ambulance shows up with a trauma patient, how fast can we do things? Mm-hmm. I'm totally on board with what Chris wants to do. Then what I've got to do is wrap security around it fairly effectively. And not in as, as, as little as possible get in his way. Now, my emergency services director respects my lane as well, right? He, he realizes that I'm here to help him and i'm here to help him help our patients so it's it's this great tension where we can you know this is probably one of the very first things i did was you know we walked through one of our emergency departments together uh and we're able to in about 10 minutes resolve three problems to where he was happy i was happy and all the tension left the room and that's winning that that is today's environment more and more because of the high level and this is me and i'll get your reaction that's today's environment because of the high level breaches we've seen where hospitals have been taken offline so to speak oh, yeah. back onto paper for a month or two and you've got losses stated losses of over 100 million dollars we've seen that in california that creates a different security environment for someone like you trying to enforce policies that makes the people that you have to have these compromises with much more amenable to understanding your point of view. They've seen it in the news. They get it. They understand there's a patient safety factor. Now we've seen some lawsuits, wrongful death, that kind of a thing. It wasn't like that 10 years ago, correct? Right. Yeah, absolutely. It was, t- it was totally different. We so were these, seen as an impediment. Yeah. Right. Right. So uh, how would you describe that, that change and morphing as it's taken place over time? <sighs> So one thing I, I think that if, if I always try to look for the positive in anything, I think with you know this era of ransomware, 
some media outlets better than others have done a, a good job of explaining the impact of a ransomware event. Um, and you know, when you get to see what happens to, you know, cautionary tale one, cautionary tale two, where people are down for days, weeks, months, or simply go out of business. Um, or, you know, you start seeing, you know, you know, wrongful death lawsuits. Um, again, you know, team patient safety, team patient care starts paying attention. And then, you know, nothing helps a CISO than having an outside third party validate what you've been saying for a long, long time. You know, sometimes we use a big four consulting firm to do it, but if it's CNN or the Wall Street Journal going, mm -hmm. hey, this is a real thing, watch what happened at this hospital system or, you know, that clinic or whatever it is, stuff got real. The, the hypotheticals that as a CISO we had been talking about for a long time where it could happen is now happening. And, you know, our, our clinicians, you know, have colleagues uh, who are being impacted by it. And so it's, it's become very real. And I think in talking with some hospital CISOs, you know, there's a, there's that phrase in security and you, you never, never let an okay. incident go on, you know, unused. Um, some people are using it to sow further fear, uncertainty and doubt, right. And then talk about the ransomware boogeyman. Uh, that's probably effective over the short term. I think long term, if you've been if you've been engaging your clinical leaders, and you and you simply say, "Look, here, this is happening." Like I said, you know, two years ago, can we do these things? There's going to be a lot less resistance from the clinical side. Actually, for me, I, I, there's been almost no resistance from the clinical side. Um, budgets are opening up, right? Uh, again, not because necessarily. CFOs want to, it's not about lawsuit avoidance. It's again, CFOs are on, a good CFO is on team patient safety and they're on mm -hmm. team quality of care. Mm -hmm. And they're realizing, hey, this investment we need to make in security, you know, is will help. You know, by the way, the fact that, you know, no one's getting cyber insurance anymore. Hey, we just freed up a hundred million dollars that we can, you know, do to do a more direct mitigation. So I think it's, it, it Nothing brings a team together like a real adversary. Right? Yes. Uh, yes, that's a very so good point. Right now in, in hospital land, we have a real adversary. And so we we have a chance now to look at each other, uh, either across the table or over a Zoom, and, and look at each other and go, how are we going to fix this? How are we going to fight this? How are we going to protect our patients? And it's in, in, a, in a kind of almost morbid way, it's made us a stronger team. Um, so again, I'm just trying. I'm trying to find any good I can in the era of ransomware. So, and, and do you leverage that uh, some of that material in a, maybe presentations you make to boards and senior leadership to explain what's going on out there? I, and you don't want to use the boogeyman, like you said, but no, but, but you're just educating. Every, but here's the thing: they've already been educated. They know. Mm -hmm. You know, let's be honest. Every board member reads Becker's. They read the Wall Street Journal. They read all this stuff, right? Mm -hmm. They know, right? right? And if I was to come in and start educating them on ransomware, one, it's going to come across as being very pedantic. Two, it's going to come across as almost insulting, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to, if I'm going to talk to a leader, it's like, 
you know, the, their question is generally, okay, ransomware, what are we doing? Right. Right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to brief. I'm not going to educate. They know. And right. that was like, because of this aspect, we're doing this because of this aspect, we're doing this. And it, it works. Um, are we doing everything I wish we could? No, because we don't have an infinite amount of money. Right. Um, but I'm proud of the response Northside's made. I'm you know, talking with a lot of peers. I'm proud of what a lot of hospitals are doing with what they have. Um, and so, again, trying to find whatever piece of good we can. Very good. All right. I want to ask you sort of an open-ended question, see where sure. you go. Um, from a big picture point of view, what are either the top one or two things you're working on or if you don't want to talk specifics about that, what are uh, some of the most important trends or the most important trend you're seeing either from a technology or process point of view on the security side that, that sort of has caught your eye, but maybe not everyone else's? Oh, wow. So for me, I think a, a basic truth that I think some people are missing is that for a long time, we've counted on doing you know, inspecting the traffic on our network, because that is the surest telltale of where badness is going to be. Um, TLS 1.3 is going to take that away from us. Uh, We're not, it's going to be very difficult for us to inspect east-west traffic because everything's being encrypted as it should be. So we are losing visibility on the network. So that needs to move to the endpoint. Um, that's harder. Right. Um, you know, it's it's easier to aggregate things on the network and inspect it versus having to collect from tens of thousands of endpoints. Um, and I think us trying to stay ahead of some of these older technologies getting deprecated to maintain the visibility we need across our environments is going to be key because the amount of reaction time we get to badness is shrinking. I mean, it doesn't, you know, when the attacker gains persistence and they decide to pull the trigger on badness, it used to be you had tens of minutes, you know, an hour or two to realize what was going on and do something about it and still be pretty effective in your IR. Now you've got minutes, maybe seconds before real badness starts. So the only way you can do that is with visibility understanding what's happening on your network. And it's really, it's IT 101. It's asset governance, it's data governance, it's just, it's basic blocking and tackling, but at scale and with a quality level that is hard. And I think that to me, that's the, it's re-engineering and going back to basics is, is where I think the next, for a lot of us, the next five years, that's what we're doing. Does that require AI and ML in order to respond in seconds to breaches, or is that something different? And I think I mean I I, I kind of AI ML is sort of you know I call it RSA speak. It's it's great marketing. I think automation there's there's I think it's part of it, but I think there's there's automation. There's the ability to to stop doing security silos to where you know, my NDR product does a great job here and my EDR project product does a great job here. You know, by the way, my web proxy does a great job here. That's great. Uh, but you're, you're watching the world through three different straws. 
you have to be able to see holistically across it. That's where I think the challenges are going to be. You know, that was always the promise of SIM, right? You know, holistic knowledge across your entire environment. And then, you know, wow, that's expensive. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, Anton Chuvakin was, was talking, you know, on a thing the other day. It was like, you know, that's an eight, that's an eight digit bill. If you want to throw that level of visibility into the cloud, he's probably right. Um, but that's, that's where we need to be. We need to be able to look holistically at our environment, figure out what normal is, and then focus on the not normal. Um, and that's hard. And I, and I think some, some people are better positioned to do it than others. I think folks, it's, it's going to be a challenge. And that's where I think over the next five years, you know, if you kind of see, if you look at what the track was in financial services, look at what, you know, the, the financial services ISAC has led. That's kind of where I think healthcare goes, you know, just like any other critical infrastructure. Well, that's great. I'm telling you, I would go on with you for another half hour of we didn't get into sort of the whole cyber insurance thing. We'll have to do that another time because I really I would like to keep these tight. Um, but let me give you an opportunity for a final thought, final piece of advice for your CISO colleagues at Health Systems something uh, that you just want them to think about uh, or a nugget that you've learned based on all your experience. This is sort of okay. one thing that has kept you uh, in good shape. Um, so let's talk about CISO burnout. Um, it is really easy for us to try to take on the world. Uh, you know, as CISOs, generally we are the security SME. We're this, we, we are the face of security in our environments. And a lot of us are very driven uh, but it, especially, you know, healthcare CISO during a pandemic, we're burned out. And I think if I could, if my only nugget is take care of yourself and take care of your people. Because if you flame out, if you, um, you, know, if, you know, we've had, you know, I've had peers who've, you know, had to, you know, go to inpatient behavioral health because they've just collapsed. If you, if that happens, you, you're not doing yourself or your organization any benefits. Take care of yourself. Take care of your people. Because this is, this is you know, that class, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And right now it's not even a marathon. It, it, it is an eternal journey. So pace yourself. Um, you know, take care of you. Take care of your family. Let your folks take care of themselves. Let them take care of their families. Um, because if you're not around to fight the battle, you're not around to fight the battle. And if I can use an airline analogy from your previous life, uh, you got to put your mask on before you put your neighbors on, right? Very much so. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you can't help anybody. Martin, thanks so much for joining me today. Tremendous interview. Um, I really appreciate it. Glad to be here.